0: I remember when this book came out in 1997, um, Michael Drosnin's The Bible Code. And it held such significance because what had taken place before this. the author was a mathematician, and he had argued that there was some sort of code in the Bible that he had figured out, and it rose to prominence because in 1994 he had first flown to Israel with a friend in order to deliver a message to then Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, Um, that his name, the one time it came up in the Bible, according to his mathematical code, crossed with assassin who will assassinate. One year later, of course, Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated as prime minister. And Michael Drosden's book kind of blew up when it came out then in 1997, is here's somebody who has figured something out in the Bible that has a code in it that we can unleash and unlock in order to understand things more clearly. Now, since that time, a whole lot of other titles, of course, have continued to come out. Ones like these, claiming there's some sort of gematria code within Scripture, that if you just sort of apply the right number assignments to different letters in the Hebrew alphabet, that you can find things like information about the coronavirus, which, of course, the Bible doesn't say explicitly, but the claim is you can find it in there. And there's been countless people who have come and gone and the latest prophet come lately who's predicting how they have found the secret in the Bible to understand the end times. And maybe in particular in the book of Revelation that there's so much to understand and there's just these keys to unlock and it's sort of like this giant mystery or puzzle board or escape room that you're trying to find your way out of by just putting all the clues together so you can finally make sense of it all. Some of this language, just watch, is going to get heightened in the next coming weeks as geopolitical events are taking place in Israel and Palestine and warfare and death. And there's an assumption, of course, that something in there is escalating or throttling us further and further and faster and faster toward the end. There's been so many different people who have come over time and tried to predict dates of when the world was going to end And this understanding or this misunderstanding of how it is that we're supposed to use the Bible. Sam kicked us off last week in this part on our series on listening to God's voice, talking about all the different intricacies of what the Bible is. And what I want to talk with you today is about how. How do we appropriately, stewardly use this? What are we supposed to do, and how are we supposed to steward our understanding of the Bible and the words that are within it? Throughout my lifetime, we've seen countless. Um, court cases and protests come up again and again and again about the use of the Ten Commandments in American courtrooms. And the belief, of course, is that, or at least the fight, is that if you take that out, then we will be losing something. Or we'll be losing our Judeo-Christian heritage. Or we'll be losing some form of morality that is based on biblical understanding, even in our courts and how we understand justice. what I've never really understood about this is Jesus was the fulfillment of the law in its entirety. I mean, if you really wanted to change and transform the world to such an extent that you didn't even need courthouses to settle justice anymore, well, if we would all just love our neighbor as ourselves, I don't think there'd be a court case left to decide. Or maybe we should be advocating much more fully for the fruit of the Spirit embodying all the people who are entering into buildings like this to settle justice, because then we will find out what it is that God really wants in each of us. I think sometimes when we talk about the Bible, if you can go to the graphic, a lot of us sort of understand it a little more like this, that... When we start talking about the Bible, it's almost like we deviate away from our conversation directly with God, and the Bible becomes sort of not the means to an end in terms of interacting with God, but sometimes just an end unto itself. Nikki Gumbel, famous pastor who had created the Alpha Course, tells the story of how to drive this home. The Alpha Course is designed for churches all over the world to be able to use so people could invite Um, their unbelieving neighbors, to come and share a meal with them and a teaching about what Christianity is. And in his teaching on the Bible, Nicky Gumbel uses the analogy like this, how Christians have often misused the Bible. He said, let's imagine that I got a car, a brand new car, and I'm so excited about this brand new car, but I want to use it the right way. So I'm going to take the owner's manual out of the glove compartment. I'm going to study the owner's manual. And as I start studying it, I realize this is brilliant, There is so much incredible and intricate thought that goes into the owner's manual to this vehicle. I should actually get together with some more friends who have a vehicle like this, and we should study our owner's manuals together. And then if we studied them together, and if we got really, really good at it and really serious about it, we'd actually have to learn German because it was German engineers who first created this vehicle that had this handbook to explain how all the details of it all worked, of course, inevitably, Nikki Gumbel ends up with the question, yeah, but did you ever drive the car? And I think sometimes that is analogous for how we understand and interact with the Bible. Because more appropriately, our interaction with the Bible would look more like this. It's just simply the means by which we get to God, not the end in and of itself. Because if your Bible, at the end of the day, isn't leading you into a deeper relationship with Jesus, then you're probably reading it wrong. Last week, Sam read from this passage. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Remember how Sam outlined for us that it was in that act where Jesus is breaking bread, and whether it was... They're rec- recollecting the, the last supper that they had had with Jesus or something about him in that moment. Maybe it was the scars in his hands, but there was something that opened their eyes. The scales came off and they saw him differently. What's f- interesting about this passage, though, is it segues into the very next one. that contains within it the prayer that I have prayed probably the most in my entire ministry life. Over the last 20 years, I mean, maybe aside from the Lord's Prayer, but... This one, starting in Luke 24, verse 36. This is the continuation of the passage that Sam started with last week. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands. And his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while well, I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The way an Old Testament or Jewish mind would have broken down the entirety of their scriptures. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Just like Their eyes were opened in order to see and recognize Jesus. Jesus does the same thing here with the scriptures themselves. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is why I've been praying this prayer over and over again so many different times. So often when I sit down, my first act in preparation for preparing a message is just simply this. Lord, open my mind that I can understand the scriptures. I just want to understand the whole story. Parts of this are very complex. Parts of this are hard for us to understand. But what's so key and so important about all of this is what Jesus is doing is opening their minds so that they can understand the scriptures so that they can understand him. That the law and the prophets and the Psalms and everything else was all pointing towards this. If you can't arrive at this conclusion through all of this, you're not reading it properly. This is what it was all pointing towards. This is what the preamble to when I got to be here and be with you and share heaven and the things that God wants breaking in in this place. And I want to tell you what they are and I want to empower you so that you can go out into the whole world and give them heaven. Now, so often over time, we... Of have all these different ways that we can read the Bible wrong. I just kind of want to look at a few different people's reflections on Scripture in order to point out how sometimes we deviate from being able to do this properly. And by properly, I mean understanding the Scriptures and having our minds open to it so that we can understand Jesus. I love this quote from Mark Twain. It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bothers me. It's the parts that I do understand. Now think about this for a minute. I am completely convinced. Every time I've sinned, every time I've done something wrong, every time I feel a prompting or nudging of the Holy Spirit in my life that something has to change, my Bible reading goes down. Maybe you have the same effect. Maybe you even haven't thought about it, um, anything beyond a subconscious level. But I, don't, I think we, sometimes when we are in love with our sins, when we're in love with the things that have enslaved us, we don't want to go to the one place that we know is going to demand transformation. I think more Christians don't read their Bible more, not because they're afraid the story is false, but because they're afraid the story is true. Because if this book is true, there are things that need to change in my life. And there's things that need to change in your life. And there's things that need to change in the ways that we interact with one another and in the ways that we interact with the world. There's a lot that's going to have to happen. So what bothers me most, what upsets me most, what challenges me most in Scripture is the parts actually that I do understand. Because they confront me. And if the purpose of us reading Scripture is so we can better understand Jesus, then God's intent in passing the scriptures down to us is so that he can change us and refine us to enter into a better relationship with him. That's really what it's all about. I remember um, once heard a story of a famous scholar who was coming to to do a whole evening lecture for over three hours on the book of Revelation. And he was going to show up, and he was one of the leading world scholars on this, and so many people wanted to come, because it's a very confusing book for a lot of people. And as he was getting ready and getting set up, he noticed that the janitor who had set everything up was actually leaving. And he approached the man and said to him, Sir, do you not want to stay? Like, you work in a a church in this auditorium, and I'm going to explain the book of Revelation to you. And the old wise janitor said, I, I can't actually know it already. And he said, what, what do you mean? To which the janitor replied, well, it's, it just says Jesus is going to win. And I think with bed within that, there's, just, there's an, a reality that we can approach the scripture at the most basic level and get it and appreciate it. And it could be the first page of the Bible you've ever read. And the Spirit can do something beautiful in that. Or you can get PhDs in Hebrew and in Greek and dive a mile deep into this text and still keep finding a bottomless ocean of beauty. Because it's leading you to Jesus. And that's the point. So we can't come to the Bible and read it wrong. So there's a couple things I want to dismiss before I offer a couple helpful tips on what I think we really should be doing with this. So if you go to the next slide, this is one of the responses that Galileo gave when he was um, under inquisition for his beliefs as a heretic, for what he believed about tides and how they functioned, about mountains on the moon, about the circles around Saturn and its rings, and all sorts of different parts of the galaxies. He said this, the Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. In other words, too often I see people want to, and I want to do this too at times, come to the Bible and try to read it like a science textbook. And more often than not, when we begin with that sort of approach, we've already decided ahead of time what it is we want it to do for us. So you can't read the Bible like a science textbook. The majority of the Bible is written in poetry, so that's going to make it really difficult for one. But if you turn to the book of Genesis and your primary question is, how did God create the earth? I think you're going to arrive at the wrong conclusions and probably end up fighting with other Christians about how it's supposed to be read. See, how isn't the question. It's why. Galileo already knew, don't read the Bible like a science textbook. That's not why God gave it to us. It's an invitation into a love story. It's not a textbook. Textbooks are great. There's all kinds of ways we can continue to figure out how God put the world together, but that's not the main point in him giving us this book i think another time too is we start reading the bible when we get into trouble we have a reactionary reading to scripture where something is going on in life and we haven't developed the discipline of doing it regularly so then when the, when we're in the middle of a fire or a difficult situation then we run back to the bible in a reactionary mode is some sort of emergency fire alarm that we can pull that will give us some sort of unleashing of heaven's wisdom to help us out of the situation that we're in Or as the comedian George Carlin once put it, I was thinking about how people seem to read the Bible a whole lot more as they get older. Then it dawned on me, they're cramming for the final. See, but this is reading the Bible as a different kind of code. A behavioral one. What is it that I need to do that the Bible tells me in order to be able to make God happy? And I think there are way too many Christians today who are still reading their Bibles like this. I just need to know what's in here so I can make God happy with me. It is not a behavioral manual. Yes, behaviors change, but transformation comes out of transformation within. Now, I just want to finish up today by running through some, some things that I've learned over time and gleaned from some others. Some handy Bible reading tools on sort of how. How do we do this better? Number one, start with the Bible reading you, not you reading the Bible. If you're going to the Bible to find an answer to a question you already have, rather than cultivating a discipline about being in it all the time, chances are you're not going to come with the right approach. You have to let the Bible read you, not you read it. So i got to get away from reactionary reading and emergency reading, and i got to get into disciplined reading so that I show up in a place where I'm allowing Scripture to really and truly read me. Number two, ask a million questions. After I've asked God, Lord, open my mind so I can understand the scriptures. The next thing I do whenever I'm writing a message is I stare at the text and I write down every single question I had. I imagine that God is in the room and I write down every question I would ask God about this text at the time. I ask it like he's in the room because he is. Oh, and by the way, his heart is that I would understand the scriptures. So this is a prayer that God actually desires to answer for us. Ask a million questions. Write them all down. And then begin to enter into a process because this is going to drive you into the relational component of it, not just interaction with a book. Number three, get in the quiet and slow down. You and I are bombarded with so many different things. I scan news headlines every morning just to try to figure out what's going on in the world, but that's reading for information. Reading for transformation has to be done at a slower p- pace. I'm not just gleaning keywords. I'm not just trying to write a paper on this as fast as I can, so I'm skimming through the material. That's not how the Bible is designed to be read. Slow down and drown out the other voices. Get in a quiet place. It's hard to hear the Lord's voice over a whole lot of loud noise going on all around you. Number four, I rely on this one a ton. Holy Spirit Highlights. That as you're reading slowly through scripture, going back through a text, just ask the Lord, what are you highlighting in here for me? Like what words in particular are jumping off the page? What is my mind getting stuck on here? And instead of just trying to brush past it and keep going so you can get done the reading, stop. And even if you only end up reading one Bible verse that day, that's fine. If God's highlighting something and takes you to that place, just stay there. Dwell. Let him hold you in that moment. And let that word roll over a couple of different times to show you something new. One of my favorite ways to do that is also just to switch up the translations. Number five. If you're so used to reading the Bible, you can jump ahead in your mind to the next words um, in the verse. Because there's certain places in Scripture that you're really familiar with. Because of Sunday school or mom and dad doing, um, you know, disciplined Bible reading in the home when you were growing up. Then pick a different translation to read through. One of my favorites that I have in my office is I have, I have a, um, a parallel Bible. So it's got eight different translations on the same page um, of the Bible. And then I can go back and forth between all of them of why is it translated this way here and this way here and this way here. And why do they use this word and why do they use this word. And it just sort of helps my mind get into it a little bit better. Number six, seek not a mastery of the text but, being, but by being mastered by it. This one I've borrowed from Adele Calhoun in her spiritual handbook, spiritual disciplines handbook. Seek not a mastery of the text, but to be mastered by it. So when I sit down to start my devotional time, the point of this is not so that I can get done so I can get on with my day. The point is that I'm going to go into this so far that it's not going to leave me the same. I need to be mastered by the text. I'm not putting it underneath me. I'm not putting myself over it. Um, And so that it places in this part of my day and no more. I let it have what it's supposed to have. And Jesus wants to change you. Jesus loves you so much that he does not want to leave you the same as you are today. And so the end goal when reading and finishing your devotions isn't being finished. It's having your butt kicked. Just a little bit. Let a passage kick you around for a little while. Number seven, if, if your devotion or Bible reading is getting a little slow, then just shake up your method. Read it out loud. Listen to it. There's all kinds of great audio Bible resources. Meditate. Just sit and fall as deep as you can into a particular verse or text. Just switch it up to make it new again. Number eight: ask what it's teaching me. What is this text teaching me about the Father, about the son, about the spirit? Right? Because that's the end goal in all of this. We have way too much effort spent in getting through devotions as if there's some sort of obligation. And for so many years of my life, I have done devotions as if it was a chore that my father had assigned to me. But we need to move beyond that if we're ever to enjoy it or understand that it is something more. And the more is what God wants you to be able to enjoy with him. I'll close with this. My wife of almost, 20, of almost 25 years is here. I remember when we first met and we wrote letters back and forth. People did that once upon a time. I'd write her a poem. I didn't realize she was a poet. And then I never wrote her a poem ever again because I realized how bad I was. But we, imagine she was writing me these letters, right? And I just started collecting them. Maybe I ended up with 66 of them. And then I bound them all together in a little book, if I would have taken all of those letters, sat down and just stayed in them and talked about them, and somebody would have come up to me inevitably at some point in time and be like, dude, are you ever going to ask this girl out? Or like, are you going to do anything about what's written in these love letters? That's the whole point of this. This is a collection of God's invitation into a love story with him. And I know that because of the centuries between where you live now and when it was written sometimes makes that leap a little bit difficult. But it's not that complicated. Jesus is going to win. Jesus is madly in love with you. And Jesus wants to tell you that. And the best way he's told you that is through a collection of these 66 books. I ask the band to come on up and help us in closing. I want to ask as they do um, if you'll enter into a little exercise with me in prayer. We pray with me? Repeat after me. Lord, open up my mind that I may understand the Scriptures, that I might understand you. Lord, open up my mind that I may understand the Scriptures, that I may understand you. Spirit of the living God, you've heard our cry. We want to know you more. We want to give you more of ourselves, and we want to move beyond the fear of what it means each time when we open up this incredible book. Sometimes we're intimidated by it. Sometimes we treat it like a security blanket. Sometimes we want to treat it like a textbook. But Father, move our times devotions just simply into devotion with you you heal and cure us of an obligatory task or a chore and make these stories new again for each of us and teach us how to plumb its depths to live a beautiful life like your son to let ourselves be changed by him. Father, I pray that each one of us here, next time we hold or open our Bibles, can see you on the other side of the page, reading with us, inviting us into your mind, in your design for all things, and what it's supposed to look like when we submit our lives to the fact that heaven is coming here. Your kingdom come your will be done in my life on this campus as it is in heaven. Amen.